This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another exciting edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com. And joining us on the podcast, Colton Welker, Rockies prospect uh, in advanced class A. Lancaster right now off to a great start. We're going to talk to Colton a little bit. And then later in the podcast, we're also going to talk about some guys that aren't off to as good a start as Colton is. And that is Ronald Acuna, who struggled a little bit. Victor Robles battling an injury. And we'll talk a little bit of the draft as well. But Colton... Uh, you are the California League Player of the Week through Week One, which actually included ten games for you. I think uh, four fifty-five, the OPS uh, fourteen twenty-six, three homers. I know it's a great place to play for a hitter, but just talk about how that first week felt for you, getting getting going in this fashion, hitting the ground running like this. Hey guys, thank you for having me. Um, the first week, it, it, no, it felt great. Just uh, obviously coming off to a hot, hot start is, uh, you know, helps your confidence and helps helps the season progress. And just for me, it was just staying staying within my approach and um, just being myself and just trusting trusting my abilities at a new level. And uh, you know, clearly it, it paid off. And um, and uh, I'm here, and I'm you know, I'm great to great to be at a higher level and just doing what I can do. Colton, you've had almost instant success since you signed a couple of years ago out of high school. I mean, really the only thing I think that, that slowed you down was the abdominal strain last year. I guess I have kind of a, a two-part question. You know, how frustrating was it to have that injury in the middle of your first full season when everything was going so well in the Sally League? And I, I know you've made it look pretty easy so far, but what, what's been the biggest adjustment you've had to make since signing? Uh, just definitely just – Definitely at this level now. I mean, a little bit in the Sally League, not so much my first year. It was just uh, pitchers really just aren't giving in to me anymore. You know, I'm getting a lot of, you know, 1-0, 1-0 chase pitches, 2-0 chase pitches. And, you know, they'd rather they'd rather have me take the walk than hurt them with people on base. And uh, just me as a hitter, just having to realize that and really just stay patient and uh, hit the mistake is definitely just uh, the biggest adjustment in the Cal League I've definitely seen so far. Uh Colton, first off, uh, which is a bigger honor, being named to the MLB Pipeline Prospect Team of the Week or joining us on this podcast? Uh, I definitely think the, the podcast is pretty cool. I've never done one of these, so this is, uh, this is the first for me. And you, get, you, get, you get credit for not even blinking on that, on that ridiculous question, by the way. Um, uh, second question, you know, we, you know, we've all hinted at uh, you know, what a great place it is to hit in the California League. How do you make sure that you don't, change who you are as a hitter and just let the results take care of themselves? I mean, there, there have been countless numbers of, uh, of guys, and, and I guess you got a little bit of a taste of this in Asheville, which is a really good place to hit. You know, but how do you make sure that you don't try to do anything different or change anything because uh, of a positive hitting environment? I mean, yeah, you do see guys come in there and, and swing way too hard, and it, it should be the opposite. You know, I mean, yeah, it is windy there, and if you, if you, you know, barrel one up in the air, it, it does go pretty well. So, I mean, I just take it to my full advantage, and I just take, you know, my, my nice swings and, uh, 
you know, when you get barrel on it, it's going to go. So there's no need to swing extra hard, no, no need to chase balls and just stay within yourself. So I really just realized just staying my approach. And, and you know, when you do hit that, that 0-2 home run, you know, when you're, uh, when you're in, you know, just your defense mode a little bit, it feels good to know that, you know, you don't have to swing out of your shoes. You don't have to be, you know, who you're not. And uh, I think that's the number one way to have success in the, uh, the Cal League. But how much, Colton, are you looking forward to facing Jesus Lazardo, your old high school teammate? I talked to him in spring training, and, and he said he was kind of looking forward to, to seeing you. Have you? I know you played together in high school. Did you ever face him in a game growing up in some kind of other league? And how much are you looking forward to that matchup this year? Yeah, I actually faced him in some inter squads in my senior year of high school, and uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. I joke around with him all the time, and uh, he's, he's just an electric arm with amazing stuff and just uh, – you know, super well-rounded kid. So that's just going to be—it's going to be really cool just to, to face each other this year and just you know knowing where we came from in high school together. So it's just going to be a great experience. Did you, did you try to sit fastball on him when you face him, or do you worry about that changeup in the back of your mind because he's got such a good changeup? I mean, yeah, he's so electric, and you know he's got that arm side run. So I, I would have to think fastball the whole bat and just and just see the see the changeup, which is tough because he has such a great changeup. Now, Colton, if you were smart, you just told us the exact opposite of what your game plan will be, just in case he listens to this before you guys meet each other. That might have been the opposite. All right, so now, now, we, now he has no idea, and you, you're one step ahead. Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit when we chatted in spring training, Colton, about you know, the fact that uh, there's a pretty good third baseman in Colorado. I know that's a couple of rungs away you know, before you have to, to worry about it. We see Ryan McMahon, you know, moving around the infield somewhat as a as a result uh, of Nolan Arenado's presence. Uh, is that something that you just keep out of your mind? And I know when we talked, you said you know you're a third baseman only. You're only playing third so far. Uh, but does that ever enter your mind in terms of you know should there be a point in time where I need to try playing other positions? I mean, yeah. I mean, sometimes not really though. I mean, that that guy's an all star, and he, you know he's one of the best. In the so I'm just, you know, for right now, the the Rockies and the organization has me only playing third, which is uh, which is fine by me. And I've definitely progressed and become, you know, a much better defender from what I've got here. And I, I do think I could jump around the infield or maybe just play an outfield corner and, uh, you know, help the team that way. But, um, no, I'm not really concerned about that at all. I mean, I mean you know, I'm in high A and I just want to stay, stay within myself and just put up my numbers and play my game and uh, the rest will take care of itself. Speaking of Arenado, Colton, I do our Rockies prospect stuff, and I've had, you know, probably three different Rockies officials kind of compare you to a young Nolan Arenado. You guys, I think, we're kind of are built similarly. Uh, you've put up similar numbers, you know, at the same stage of your career. You know, as good as defenders he is right now, you know, he had a lot of work to do at third base when he got going. Have you heard those comparisons, or have you read them? And what do you what do you think about when you hear something like that? Yeah, I actually have heard those comparisons. And, I mean, it's just a complete honor just to even be in the same category or just even compare to that guy at this age. Just because, I mean, you watch him play, you know, he's out there giving his heart and soul every night. And just, uh, I mean, I even see him in spring training. He just, you know, he's always in the cage. He's, you know, a workhorse. And uh, and just clearly, you know, just, you know, we just have some of the same similarities, how we go about swinging the bat and uh, just taking, you know, our work and stuff like that and, and our body types. So, I mean, yeah, just even being in the same category as that guy, it's uh, – you know, I'm really grateful and and, uh, and thankful. Yeah, Colton, you mentioned you mentioned spring training, and you got a little time in big league camp. You got to see him go about his business. 
how much takeaway do you get just to see how a guy at that level does it to, to prepare for a season? And not just him, the other, the other big leaguers in that clubhouse and, and sort of see how they go about it and kind of compare it to, all right, this is what uh, you know you're going to need to do to, to stay healthy and, and play and, and get to that level as well. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a little different, just how they how they prepare and, you know, the scouting reports and everything like that, and just uh, just the mentalities mostly, and just the preparation, you know, getting their stretches in and stuff like that. And it just really showed me that, you know, that this is, you know, this is a career. This is, you know, what they do for a living every day. And they're just, you know, they're really out there just uh, just super focused and locked in. There's not, not, like, they have fun in the clubhouse and stuff like that. But when it's that, when they're out there, it's just a... Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a different game at, at certain points, and it, you just really have to, you know, admire it and take it in. I really did learn a lot. Colton, thank you so much for joining us. We're honored to be your first-ever podcast. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you for having me. Great stuff there from Colton Welker. And one thing um, I thought was interesting, just looking at his numbers and hearing from him as well, Jim, you asked him about the fact that he's gotten off to such great starts, and he had 329 in, in rookie ball in 51 games, 350 last year. Obviously, he battled the injury. Fourth 32 right now through obviously just a couple of weeks um, at some point he's going to have to adjust to something I would think but so far it's really been smooth sailing right Jim it is I mean I mean this I mean, he's an overslot signing in the fourth round but I mean he wouldn't last until the fourth round if the draft was again today I mean the, the big test for the Rockies players for the hitters is always when you get to double a Hartford because you know their parks for the most part are really good hitters parks even though they don't have a rookie-level affiliate. You know, he had to be challenged by going to the more advanced Pioneer League uh, as an 18-year-old in his draft year. The Pioneer League in general and Grand Junction are great places to hit. You know, Jonathan mentioned Asheville's got a very short porch in right field. Uh, you know, even though he's a right-hand hitter, that's a great place to hit. Lancaster might be the best place to hit in all of the minors. And then you get up to AAA right before you get to Coors Field, which is also a very good place to hit. And the ball flies in Albuquerque. So, I mean, he's legit. I don't think he's, you know, they have, you know, if you go back over the years, you could see guys who were kind of products of the ballpark and, you know, Lancaster, I mean, I think people go to Lancaster and kind of hit 350 with 20 homers in their sleep because the wind always howls out of there. But he's a legitimate guy. But I, I do think that the big test for him will be double-A. And, and I, I think Jonathan might have been. One of you guys mentioned Ryan McMahon in the context of moving to third. But Ryan McMahon was a guy who hit everywhere he went and then had an awful year in double-A in 2016, made some adjustments, and then got going again in 2017. But, I mean, this is – like a guy who I, I think would be more universally heralded as one of the best third base prospects in baseball, had he not been hurt last year, he was, uh, you know, if he would have kept up what he was doing in about half a season, he would have led the Sally League in, in batting average, on base percentage, and ops as a 19-year-old. I mean, it, it's just a really, really good bat. Jonathan McMahon yes. and then Rogers and now Welker. I mean, the Rockies know what they're doing when it comes to the left side of the infield. Well, I mean, and guys that can play around the infield, really. Yeah, I was going to say, because you know, they're kind of moving around. And, you know, Rodgers is playing second. He's also seeing some time at third. Uh, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point Welker starts bouncing around. But, yeah, I think the offensive profile uh, is one is very good. And, you know, it's, I think it goes back to maybe Ian Stewart, who, you know, had this huge monster year in Asheville and never really lived up to that again. You know, I, I think he changed who he was as a hitter. He made it to the big leagues, but never really could stick. So there's always been that kind of qualifier. Well, it's only Asheville, and then you know, now it's only Lancaster. But with Welker, you know, a few things that really jump out 
uh, you know, Jim mentioned the, the gaudy numbers last year before he got hurt, uh, but the strikeout rate was really, really low. Uh, so far this year, he has more walks than strikeouts, uh, and he's more than two years younger than than the average age position player uh, in the California League. So I think all of that that bodes well. And even in Asheville, you know, the the short porch and right field, uh, Welker told me in spring training he loves going the opposite way. Uh, so in some ways, you know, for a right-handed hitter, uh, it may be maybe it's a good part because you start working on that a little bit more because you know you're going to you're going to get some balls out of the yard just because of the uh, of the nature of the ballpark but uh, he's such a good i think all-around hitter that it's not really going to matter and the early numbers yeah he's not going to have 430 but i think uh, the early plate discipline and and on base skills things like that that's going to help carry him through and help him stay true to who he is yeah, and he's only, I mean, you're picking up on that, he's only struck out in 14% of his pro at-bats. I mean, that, that's not the ballparks. You know, I mean, this is a guy who makes a lot of hard contact. And you're just talking about their infield depth. I mean, Trevor Story's another one they've developed recently. And, you know, we've talked about this guy on the podcast before, too. One of my favorite players in last year's draft was their top pick. Well, his second rounder because they didn't have a first rounder. And that was Ryan Valade, who is presently shortstop. A lot of guys do project he winds up at third. And there's a lot of similarities between him and, and Colton Welker. So they've got – not only do they have to figure out where Colton Welker is going to play, they're going to have to figure out a spot for Valade, too. They just, they just seem to have a really nice touch for, for infielders. And, you know, none of these guys we've talked about we were first-round picks. I mean, Story was a supplemental first-rounder, but all the guys were, were second-round picks, or in Welker's case, a uh, fourth-round pick. So they, the Rockies know what they're doing when it comes to infield. Yeah, making those decisions, certainly good problem to have. All right, before we move on, we want to take a second to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Baseball season is in full swing, which means it's time to track your fantasy roster. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball has been rated number one by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association five years in a row. And one reason why is the Yahoo Fantasy app. The app will help you get the expert advice and analysis you need to make the moves like a big league GM and crush your league. The app allows you to draft, trade, and manage your team right from your phone. Sign up by downloading the Yahoo Fantasy app or going to yahoo.com backslash fantasy baseball. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. All right, guys, on to some guys that are struggling a little bit or battling injuries in the minor leagues. We all thought Ronald Acuna, the moment the the clock was right, he would be called up to Atlanta after having a solid spring. And obviously, this guy, one of the the really great and best prospects in the game. But it's been a struggle so far in AAA. Now, it's tricky because he had a long break between the end of spring training and the start of the AAA season. There's been terrible weather along the East Coast, which has kind of affected it as well. So he hasn't been able to play consistently. Jonathan, do you think it's that, the fact that he hasn't been in the lineup consistently and there's been a lot of time off? Or do you think maybe he's pressing because he is right on the cusp now? I think he's a bust. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, he's listen, not, it's, He's my it's, number one pick. Yeah, I know. I wasn't going to go there. Um, it, it's nine games and 36 at-bats. Uh, you know, that, that's all I'm going to say. Yes, he's struggling. Is he pressing a little bit? Yeah, maybe maybe he is a little a little tiny bit. You know, he he, he started slow at the beginning of last year in in A ball uh, before he really got going and raked the rest of the way. He started slowly in spring training, a very small sample of before raking the rest of the way. He's going to be fine. He's 20 years old. He's struggling a little bit. The fact of the matter is that if say that he were going to spend the whole year in the minors 
and you know had a good April and maybe a good May, and then suddenly in the middle of June he went five for thirty six, which is what he's at right now. I don't even know that anyone notices. Maybe they notice though he's he, he's going through a little bit of a dry spell, but it wouldn't be that big of a deal. I think it's just that there was this assumption that he would be in the big leagues setting the world on fire the second that uh, you know it was deemed he would be past that sort of service time threshold. You know, so uh, that's the Braves calling to thank me for this, by the way. Um, you know, so I, I think that. You know, everyone needs to take a deep breath, realize how young he is, realize what a small amount of time this has been, and and not worry too much about it. Uh, Jim, last year, Dansby Swanson obviously struggled uh, throughout a campaign, and there was some thought that maybe he had been rushed a little bit and it ended up being a negative for him. He's obviously off to a good start this season. Do you think that also is weighing on the minds of the front office of the Braves a little bit that, hey, we got to make sure that he's – Swinging the bat well in AAA, he's confident and ready to go before we bring him up to the majors. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, I agree with everything Johnson said. I mean, if if you'd asked me that question, I probably would have given you the same exact answer. And I was preparing to call him a bust as a joke. Also, if you, that question had been directed to me, but I mean, we all know the main reason he's down the minors was because of service time, and he's off to a slow start. And Preston Tucker, you know, is leading the team in RBIs, and he's second in homers, and he's off to a good start. So there's really no reason to change it up right now. I mean, if you keep, you know, the Braves aren't going to contend this year, you know, unless a lot of things, you know, really break their way. I mean, I know they're off to a decent start. But, you know, I mean, if you keep Acuna down for, you know, two, three months, then you delay his arbitration eligibility as well. So there's still financial considerations that, that weigh in here. And, you know, I don't think there's so much. I don't know if anybody's really worried about his talent. I mean, just like with Dansby Swanson, I know it was a bad year last year, but, I mean, Dansby should be a, a very good player, and Ronald Acuna should be a very good player. I don't think anybody in the Braves really worries about what he's going to be in the long run. But, you know, given his slow start and the fact that Tucker's swinging a pretty good bat and, and there still are financial considerations, there's just no reason to promote him right now. So what kind of a streak does he need to go on before you think they promote him, Jonathan? Is it, is it a couple of games? Is it a couple of weeks? What, what do you think they're looking for from Acuna? I think, you know, why not just let him have an extended period of success? Whatever they deem that to mean, you know, I have not seen his that bad. So he could go through a shift where he's not necessarily racking up numbers, uh, but the approach gets better. Um, you know, he's not swinging and missing as much. Uh, he's working deeper counts. He starts driving the ball a little bit more, even if they're outs. You know, I think there are a lot of boxes that could be checked off that don't even show up in a box score. Uh, you know, that that could lead to him getting called up. But you know, I think that there is nothing wrong, not just for him, but to show you know other prospects that just because everyone you know thinks there's a coronation about to happen, it's not an automatic. Uh, you know, let him get his feet under him a little bit, let him get himself going. And, you know, I don't think it's the kind of thing where, um, was it like last year during spring training and, and, and the Twins were hoping that, you know, that Byron Buxton would uh, put together a few games in spring training where he picked up a few hits so they could sort of justify him making the opening day roster, and that's what he did, and he still wasn't ready. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, look, he went four for six, let's call him up. You know, give him give him a few weeks to to really get going, so that when he gets to Atlanta, 
he, he's got his, his full confidence back and, 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 and feeling that he, he's ready to compete as opposed to him questioning what he's doing, which you know, inevitably happens when, when you go through an extended period of struggle. Victor Robles, obviously another super talented, toolsy guy who's about ready for the big leagues. We've seen him in the majors, but he almost made the team out of spring training and then had the bad injury diving for a ball in the outfield. But the Nationals have received some relatively good news on Robles. That is that he won't miss the entire season, won't need surgery. Instead, it'll be likely a couple of months and rehab. Uh, Jim how how ready is this guy? I mean, he could have made the team out of spring training. Um, how much does he need to, to kind of get back from an injury like this before maybe he can help out the Nationals at the major league level? Yeah, I think, I mean, he's talented enough to where he could have made the team out of spring training. Um, you know, I think he's probably going to give you more consistent at-bats when healthy than, say, Michael Taylor will in center field. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, he, he's, he's not quite 21. He'll be 21 about a month from now. Um, he's going to miss two months of at-bats. You know, I don't think, you know, when he comes back that the injury will hold him back, but he'll need some time to reclaim his timing. What it probably means is, you know, and again, and we don't know the exact timetable. Let's say he misses two months and he comes back toward the end of June. You know, like I would think, you know, maybe we see him in the big leagues. You know, based on need in August, he's already been up last year, so I think he'd be an automatic September call-up. You know, at least as a defensive replacement and as a speedster. And I guess trying to look for a silver lining in this, Jonathan, I'm thinking we we probably get to see Victor Robles in the Arizona Fall League again this year. That's that would be selfish. outstanding. <laughs> Um, That's all right. A little selfishness isn't terrible sometimes. It seems like being a guy that almost made the roster that there could be a point where the Nationals really need Victor Robles this season. Is that a fair question, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it certainly it certainly could be. I mean, he was going to be in the in their plans at some point anyway. Um, you know, I think it's just going to be a question of how long it takes him to really get himself back uh, and, and get himself going. You know, it's not like he's going to come off the DL and you're going to thrust him right up to the to the big leagues. Uh, he's got such a small amount of uh, body of work at the upper levels uh, that I, I think a lot of it's going to have to do with you know how he's feeling and how he's performing, and then you know obviously what's going on at the big league level. I mean, you know, if uh, Michael Taylor's getting it done in center field, then you know you don't necessarily need Victor Robles. But uh, you know, I, I think at the very least. It could be another September call-up kind of situation, in which case we may have to wait for him to get to the fall league until late, like last year. But um, you know, you know, because he can do things, so many things, even if he's not in the lineup every day. Yeah, you, know, you don't want to take away at bats from him, especially since he's moving so much, missing so much development time. But by September, the minor league season is over. You could bring him up to be a defender and a pinch runner, if nothing else, and, and you know, and go from there. So we won't see Acuna for a while, it seems, and we won't see Robles till probably the second half of the season at the earliest. But who will be a soon-to-be uh, called-up prospect here around baseball? Um, when you look at teams that could possibly need the guy and then, then the top-line prospects that are ready, Jim, who, who do you think is the first guy that's kind of kind of break through this season? Well, I mean, the guy who it seems like there's the biggest need for right now, although they're not contending, so you get the service time considerations and all that. But, I mean, it's Nick Senzel. 
with the Reds. I mean, Eugenio Suarez was coming off a good year and just signed a contract extension, so he was kind of blocking Senzel, who's one of the best pure hitters and, and a really good all-around player. Uh, you know, in the minors, he was blocking him, but now Suarez is hurt. They haven't called him up yet. I mean, I know he's just played the 10 games in AAA, and, I mean, he's hitting 233, but it's a small sample size. That doesn't matter. Uh, he, to me, would seem to be the natural guy. I mean, I, I think there's another guy who, if the Reds were contending, uh, you know, maybe they don't bump Suarez out of the lineup because he was pretty good last year, but I think Nick Senzel makes the Reds out of spring training. I, I don't think there's much left for him to prove in the minors. Um, he's, you know, like I said, a really good all-around player. Um, he, he's already conquered double-A. Um, you know, so to me, he would be the obvious guy, but it does, you know, they called up Alex Blandino, who's a former first-round pick, but I don't really see that guy as an everyday player on a good team in the long run. I would have just handed third base to Nick Senzel and said, go get him. Jonathan, you have anybody else, or you agree with Senzel? Uh, I mean, I, I agree with Senzel. He's, he's I'm looking, he's, you know, he's got a little modest four-game hitting streak going, and uh uh, you know, it was interesting. He got a few. He was back at second base in the, the the last time they played on Sunday. But he had played a few games. At, he had started the season at second uh, exclusively. Uh, then you know, uh, the timing can't be completely coincidental. You know, Suarez gets hurt, and then suddenly he's getting starts at third just to make sure that you know he feels comfortable there if and when it happens. I think he is the uh, the the best choice. I know a lot of people are keeping an eye on Glaber Torres. Uh, the Yankees have, you know, had some some injuries in their infield, and they've been shuttling, you know, some young guys up like Miguel Andujar. He came out of his last game for feeling a little stiff, whatever that means. A lot of people were speculating that means he was getting called up. Um, I don't know, if, you know, if it was uh, it was in Scranton, maybe it was just really cold and he wasn't feeling right, so they're not taking any chances. So I think he would be another guy I could see uh, potentially getting a call. Uh, you know, especially as we get past that, you know, service time thing. And he actually has been performing well in the early going, uh, you know, hitting hitting really well, driving in runs and uh, doing all that. And he is capable of playing all over the infield uh, if, they, if they should need that in New York. One other guy I'd throw out there, and I think he's still a prime rookie of the year candidate, even though he got sent down pretty quick, is Willie Calhoun with the Rangers. The Rangers are off to a 6-12 and start. They're really struggling. You know, Delano DeShields got hurt, which has kind of thrown their outfield in flux. They have guys, you know, not performing well out there. Shoot, I mean, they just claimed, you know, perennial top, I think, according to Jason Ratliff's research, Renato Nunez is the all-time record holder. He's been on the top 30 for the A's for eight straight years, and they just put him on waivers, and the Rangers claimed him and put him in left field. I think Willie Calhoun's another guy we could see pretty quick, and and it, make, it makes sense to call him up. I mean, he's talented, and he's already, you know, he hit well in AAA last year. Get the guy in the lineup and let him do some damage. You know, maybe, you know, maybe he can help out a team that's really struggling right now. All right, the last thing I want to cover with you guys is, believe it or not, we're about two months away from the draft. Yep, the draft. And the, the top 100 draft prospect list on MLB Pipeline will be coming out at the end of this month, but you guys are very much involved in working on that right now. And it seems like since the 50 came out, 
Um, there's been a, a change at the top, I guess I'll say, and that is Casey Mize has kind of gone from he was number eight on the top 50. Obviously, that doesn't include any of this spring's work at the college level. It came out back in December. He has been tremendous, and it seems like he's the clear-cut number one. So he's seven and one. His ERA is an even two. Two complete games for Auburn. This is the number that stands out to me, though, guys. 86 strikeouts and four walks. Um, how distant? How much distance is there, Jim, between him and whoever number two may be? I think there's a there's a decent gap right now, and you know the, one of the reasons he ranked as low as eight was there were questions about his health. I mean, Tim, he, he had the best strikeout to walk ratio in Division One last year at 12.1. But he was shut down during the spring at Auburn. He was shut down during the summer at Team USA with a tired arm and a flexor strain in his forearm. And I'm not a doctor, and I didn't stay at Holiday Inn Express last night. But we all know flexor strain in the forearm often leads to elbow injury, and then it's a precursor to Tommy John surgery. So there was health concerns about him. You know, there, there was no question on the stuff. I mean, I think his stuff may be up a slight, slight tick. You know, he's been a lot of 94, 97 this year, but, I mean, he was 92, 96 last year, you know, with good life. He's got a splitter that could be unhittable. His his slider might be a little tighter, but it's not like his stuff has even jumped. I think it's it's the fact that he's been able to take the ball every weekend and, and be healthy. And, and I think, I mean, it is super early. I think we're right around a little over six weeks from the draft. I guess it's six weeks from – Yesterday, if I'm doing my math right, maybe it's seven weeks. But I think if the draft were today, you know, unless there was like a financial deal being cut by the Tigers, I'd be quite surprised if he was not the number one overall pick. I mean, do you feel the same, Jonathan? I mean, that's the sense I'm getting from guys I'm talking to. I, I do. And without digging too much into the who are the Tigers and they're going to take, I haven't really started the, the, the sort of mock draft process yet. I just, you know, I, I could see them, especially after getting Alex Fayeto a year ago, saying, boy, we had a guy like Casey Myatt, two guys who can move pretty quickly, uh, who have some upside uh, to them as well. They, they, these aren't guys who are, you know, uh, just pure pitchability guys who are number four starters. So uh, I, I, it, it makes sense. I think the combination of him separating himself uh, and they're not being another guy, like you said, unless they start playing with their bonus pool uh, in some capacity. Um, but I, I don't really see them doing that so much. So, yeah, I, I, I agree completely that he he has to be the guy. And I, I wouldn't even be sure. I mean, we've been talking about this a lot, you know, as we're starting to line up our top 100. It's, uh, I mean, once you get past Mize, everybody else has at least some kind of question mark uh, surrounding their their evaluation, but this is a podcast, so I'm going to make you each pick who you think would be two. Because I'm guessing and I'm hoping that you have differing opinions on who the next guy on your list may be. Jonathan, you can go first. I get to go first. Well, I, I think we might end up being in agreement over who's number two, but you can make an argument for a number of of players. So uh, I'll say that Nick Madrigal of Oregon State is probably the likely number two. We haven't even had this conversation yet. Um, are we saying, uh, just to uh, clarify here, are we talking about who we think will be the number two no. pick or who we think the number two prospect will be? Number two prospect. Okay. Right. So that's what I, w- I was working under that uh, assumption as well. Uh, so, I mean, this is a guy who has, has hit. 
uh, and he's hit now, you know, but he missed the first chunk of the year because of a wrist injury, and he's not big. You know, it, it, uh, I think that it's, um, you know, uh, something that will have to be answered. I know that people are looking past size and things like that, uh, but, you know, We'll have to wait and see. You have to really, really believe that he, you know, will hit enough. Yeah, and I know there's the Alex Bregmans and the Jose Altuve's uh, of the world. Uh, you have to believe he's going to be one of those guys to think that he's necessarily, you know, that he's going to be the, the the number two guy on a draft board. Jim, yeah, and it, it's funny. I, like, I, I think I would advocate for Madrigal, num, Madrigal number two right now. Also, you know, his injury this spring doesn't bother me. It was just kind of a fluky deal, and I, I think he's, I think he's clearly the best player, the best position player in college baseball, and he's probably the best position prospect in this draft. But you know, and I don't think there's any doubt he's going to hit, and he can really run. But like when you profile him out, like Jonathan was alluding to, I mean, he's five foot seven. He doesn't play shortstop on his college team, and that's in part because King Grenier is a good shortstop, but he's not a locked shortstop. I mean, I don't know how many guys played second base in college and wound up being good big league shortstops. And I do think, you know, he's even though he's not big, I mean, there is some pop to him, but it's it's like 10, 12, 15 home run pop. I mean, you can't bank on a guy turning into Jose Altuve. Um, he, he's not, you know, he doesn't have the pop. He, he's quicker than Bregman was. But, like, you know, do you really, you know, do we really, you know, see a five foot seven second baseman being the number two guy in the draft? But it, that's, that's what's been odd so far about this year, and it's going to be kind of fun, but also daunting when, when Jonathan and I are we're, we're, we're just going to point where we're going to start to put our top 100 in order and get some feedback. But, you know, a, a year ago at this time, you know, there was a clear top five, and people might have had them in a different order, but those five guys, you know, want to be in the top five picks in the draft. You know, it was Royce Lewis, Hunter Green, Mackenzie Gore, Brendan McKay, and Kyle Wright. I mean, those guys, you know, there was a clear tier. And this year, it's Casey Mize, you know, and, and, and geez, you know, if he were to have, like, a minor blip health-wise like he did last year, you know, it would just, you know, kind of knock him back, too. But there's nobody else who, who's up on that first tier right now with Casey Mize. I mean, you know, Matt, Matt Libertor, you know, the Arizona high school lefty, he's real interesting, and I really liked him, and I really liked what I saw at the Under Armour game. And he kind of excited people. I think he touched like a 97 in his first start of the spring, but he hasn't really done that again. And he's, he's more of a, a polished guy with good stuff than a guy who's going to pop a 97. And, you know, I don't know if you see – he's not – it's not fair to call a pitchability lefty because he's not throwing 86, 88. But like, I just don't know if there's enough like present stuff to where you really see him going, you know, challenging for that number one pick. And and Jonathan, I mean, you do Florida, so you've talked to to more local guys about Brady Singer, who, who's number one on our list, you know, in, in the winter. I, I almost feel like Brady Singer is getting a little bit of a bad rap. I mean, he's not blowing guys away, but he's kind of been. You know, I don't think he's much different from the guy we thought was the best prospect coming in. I mean, he'll throw in the low 90s, and he'll touch 96, and it's got good life. And, you know, the slider, I wouldn't call it a – I don't think it's like a wipeout slider like A.J. Puck and Alex Fiedo, but I think he's got even better feel for it, and he can manipulate it, and it can make guys look really bad. And, you know, I look back, I almost wonder if people are overthinking Brady Singer a little bit because, you know, A.J. Puck, who's just had Tommy John surgery, but he fell to number six in the draft after coming in the year as a potential number one. And 
before he got hurt this spring, if we redrafted that year, he probably goes number two in that draft, maybe behind Nick Senzel. And then last year, guys, you know, were backed off Alex Fajardo because his velocity was down early in the year. And all he did was dominate at the College World Series and lead the Gators to national title. And, you know, I think he's going to wind up being a steal for the Tigers after falling 18. And I almost wonder if to some extent – I don't think Brady Singer is going to necessarily fall that far, but I almost think that – you know, maybe he was kind of getting nitpicked a little bit because he came to the year as the number one guy and hasn't blown people away. But it, it doesn't seem like the stuff is too much different than than what we heard in the past on him. No, it's not. It's been it's been like a little more vanilla. Um, I think is so that, you know the way people have sort of said it. he's been okay, just not great. Yeah, there is some nitpicking. You know, and when a guy is um, when a guy is on the radar for as long as he's been, you know, he deserves credit for it. I mean, he's for three years now, you know, he's been a major part of a really good Gators pitching staff. Uh, The downside is that he gets nitpicked a lot. And I think, I think you're right. Um, You know, that maybe it's a little unfair, but at the same time, he is not, maybe people are worth, looking to see him separate himself a little bit more. Uh, maybe it's just that Casey Mize has really separated himself a lot more. I mean, he has been dominant more often than not, uh, you know, and that hasn't happened with, with Singer. I mean, there, there are some scouts I've talked to who, who like his teammate, uh, Jackson Kowar, a, a little bit better. Uh, I think, by and large, most people like Singer a little bit better than Kowar, but uh, there's not that much separating them. Uh, so there's even a comparison within the same pitching staff that uh, that may be, un, you know, counting against Singer and, and and where he ends up on draft boards. It'll certainly be interesting, and you guys will keep it monitored. As I said, the top 100 draft prospect list coming out at the end of April, and then the top 200 list when you guys expand it again will be, I think, late May leading up to the draft in June and have all that content coming your way over the next couple of months. It's always a fascinating season. We get to use the terms helium and projectability and and all that fun stuff. All right, thanks, guys. This has been a great edition of the Pipeline Podcast for Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, and also we want to thank Colton Welker for joining us. Thanks for tuning in and catch up with us again next time.